0: Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father, and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you so much, Ben. You guys could probably take a seat by now. Really Love and honor you guys. Thank you for the way you serve us. And I'm looking forward to what's still ahead in this year, what's still ahead in this week, in this month. God is busy stirring something in the kingdom in our hearts. Um, not just in in here us in our congregation, but across the city and the cities and it's just so amazing to hear stories across the world how God is moving. I know 2024, I'm trusting and I trust that you with me are trusting that 2024 is not just going to be an average year. It's not just another year. It's not just an okay year. I know some of you looking around are getting married this year, so kind of, I guess that bumps that up into the above average year. Some of us are having children for the first time, so that bumps it up into the above average year and then the not sleeping year. Um But it's going to be a great year. But I believe it's not going to be a, a great year because we're getting married or because we're having children or because we're starting a new thing. I believe it's going to be a great year because it's going to be a year in which we are filled with faith. A year in which we believe Jesus, to be Jesus, and to do Jesus things in our midst year in which we're going to look back and be amazed and say 2024 was amazing because Jesus. I wonder how many of us are our looking back on 2023. We were like 2023 was okay or was average or was good or was bad. I wonder how much of that was because Jesus. And my prayer is that as we get to the end of 2024, we will look back and we will say 24 was full in the blank because Jesus. Because Jesus stirred in my heart because Jesus answered prayer because Jesus did what Jesus does. And so I'm warning us as kind of with that as a bit of a sort of a, a starting point, a background that we want to be a people filled with faith. where're this year sort of taking Psalm 24 we sang some songs born from Psalm 24 this morning about ascending the hill of the Lord, about standing in His holy place about having pure hearts and clean hands about proclaiming to the ancient gates that the king of glory may come in. That's sort of our, our theme a little bit for this year is sort of ascending the hill of the Lord. So as we're ascending the hill of the Lord, I reminded I was brought to this passage in, in Luke chapter 10, passage that many of us have probably read, heard about, spoken about, preached on, and I don't think can't remember if I've ever preached on this passage as popular as it is, but Luke chapter 10 verse 38, and so Jesus has been doing what Jesus does, healing people, preaching, driving out demons, encouraging, lifting up the broken, proclaiming the good news as He's been going sort of throughout various times, towns and villages, and so this Group this traveling company with Jesus. They went on their way, and Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Is Martha here this morning? Let's see. I think she's still on holiday. Martha, you'll be seeing a lot more of this her this year. She's going to be one of our interns, um, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha. Was distracted with much serving. I'm not like interrupt myself. I'm going to finish this reading, and then I'll get back and highlight a couple of things for us. And she went up to him and said, "Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me." But the Lord answered her, "Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion." which will not be taken away from her. And so before we get to the bit that I want us to focus on, just a couple of thoughts that I want to share with us from this verse, just sort of in in passing. The first one is that we see clearly here the problem with Martha is not in the serving. Jesus said over and over, if you want to be like me, you've got to serve. As followers of Jesus, service is part of our DNA. It's part of what makes us us. The problem that Jesus highlights here is, Martha, you are distracted. Martha, you've become distracted by all of this activity that you are doing. And so this morning, a a part of my prayer, a part of my hope is that in sharing this text and the thoughts we're going to share, it's going to help us to be just a little bit less distracted, a little bit more focused. We'll touch on this in a moment, but distraction is a major source of anxiety in many of our lives so we want to trust God to cast off that distraction. It's interesting that because she's distracted with much servant, serving, she goes to Jesus, and watch her, her approach here is, Lord, do you not care? It's amazing how often when we find ourselves in a place where we are not doing well, we turn and we blame Jesus, and we say, Jesus, you don't care. Something that we can sort of just, in a sense, inoculate ourselves against. Just Whenever we hear that kind of in our thoughts, just take a step back right there and say, that's the devil lying to me. Jesus does care. Jesus cares so much that he gave his life upon the cross. Jesus cared so much that he poured his blood out for you and for me. And obviously, Martha hasn't come to this understanding of Christ as yet. She begins to accuse Jesus, like, Jesus, don't you care? We're anxious when we're, anxi- when we're full of anxiety, when trouble hits, because he says, I see that you are anxious and filled with trouble or troubled. And so it's so easy when we find ourselves in this boat that's busy, feeling like it's almost sinking and not doing so well, to start blaming Jesus and saying, Jesus, but don't you care? we interpret it that way and we should learn to step away from that then Jesus responds so beautifully he says martha martha i'm with martha doing internship i probably shouldn't say this but i'm thinking i'm going to say those two words a lot this year but they're going to be followed by good things okay martha martha in this case you are anxious and troubled by many things I wonder how many of us sitting here today, if we are totally honest, it could be, Philip, Philip, you are anxious and troubled with many things. How many of us, if we take our journals, if we were to go and find a quiet spot to just go and sit down, how, maybe just come back from holiday and. Uh, The first day or two or three or week of holiday, we're sitting on the beach and we're processing and we realize I am troubled and anxious because of many things. And then Jesus responds so beautifully, he says, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Later on, we see this same Mary being an incredibly service-hearted individual. She isn't one who was lazy. She wasn't just sitting at Jesus' feet because she was too lazy to work. She wasn't sitting at Jesus' feet because, hey, everyone else can do the work and I'm just going to clutch out from what kind of needs to be done. And No, she just realized, she understood of what was, what was of most value, what was most important. And so in life... We get to make a bunch of choices. God has given you and me the gift of choice. We see this right from Adam and Eve when they started. They had the choice to obey or to disobey. The people who study these things, the clever people say, You and I, you're probably going to make about 35,000 choices today. That's a crazy amount of choice right there, about two, that works out to kind of depending on how much you sleep, you're making about 2,000 choices per hour, you're making a choice every two seconds, you're making close on or just over a million choices every month, 12 million choices in a year, and every one of those choices is a potential place of anxiety, Every one of those choices is a a place where perhaps we're going to struggle. It's a a, a place that's going to cause us to be troubled. So I think one of the things that Jesus is saying to Martha here, he is saying, Martha, Mary has found something of clarity of being undistracted that allows her to be without anxiety, without trouble. We've got a bunch of choices we make in our life. I mentioned just now about 35,000 probably today. There are a bunch of choices we don't get to make. We don't get to choose what family I'm born into, what town I live in when I'm a kid. I don't get to choose what I look like. There are a couple of things that are beyond my choice. But for the most part, our, our lives is the product of our choices. Some of us may have heard the saying, you know, decisions determine destiny, that our decisions shape the course of our lives. I I think in that kind of, if you want to get into the theological debate, the terminology, there's sort of two schools of thought. The, The one is the Calvinistic side and the other one is the Arminian side. The Calvinists probably lean more towards God has decided everything for you and the Arminianists lean more towards the side God has given you choice. I think I lean in, in this context more towards the Ominian side. I truly believe that God has given you and me choice. You could choose to come here today or not to come here today. You could choose what clothes to put on. You could choose what to wear. You could choose whether to brush your teeth on the way here or not, to comb our hair, how fast to drive, how not fast to drive, what route to take. And so every single one of those are, are decisions we're making all of the time. Every one of those decisions can lead to anxiety. As minor as they may be to the person sitting next to us, a, a decision can greatly upset us. What I have learned in my life, though, is that of those 35,000 decisions that you are making every single day, there are a handful that really matter. And if we can get those ones right, we're probably going to be okay in life. I'm not a chess player at all. I, I know kind of queen on color, and I know kind of the, the basic directions that the objects can move. But I'm told that kind of a while ago there was this big um, cheating scandal. The chess people would know about this way. Two of the top chess players in the world, the, the one guy who's been the best for a, quite a long time, and a, another young guy. And the young guy started... It came out that he'd been cheating, he'd been cheating in online games, and then they suspected him of cheating in real games. And what the chess pros then kind of, kind of trying to explain it to lay people like me say in every chess game, there are a couple of key moves, and you don't have to even be told. What move to make is if there's a way to communicate to you that the computer says this is a key move and you just pay a little bit more attention to it, then you've got a massive advantage in the game. You don't always know which are the key moves in the game until the end of the game. But computers and the way they program these computers is they just give them every single chess game that's ever been played. And so then they work out based on statistical models which are the – in this game, this is going to be a really important move. And so they find ways to communicate that. And so in the same way, our daily decisions, there are a couple of decisions that we make in our lives that are key. That shape, that form us. What I'm having for breakfast perhaps isn't one of them. But maybe the diet in general that I choose to follow, that is a key one. Especially if I've got health issues and health concerns. But within that diet, whether I'm going to have this breakfast or this breakfast or this breakfast, whether I'm going to have some yogurt, whether I'm going to make an egg, whatever, that's probably not going to define my day. And so I I want us this morning to think a little bit about how we make our decisions. I so agree with Jeremy. Jeremy. I'm also not the type who likes being told what to do. But I've embraced the truth that there is a God who can tell me what to do. He doesn't often. He gives us a lot of free choice. But if He does tell me what to do, then I'm going to choose to follow what to do. And so often in in church, in religious circles, kind of when we're talking about church, we we get stuck in this conversation of, must I do, I'm just doing things, and then we start giving religion a bad name, and every time someone says religion is bad, I say, okay, so then we mustn't visit widows and orphans, because that's pure religion. And if religion is really bad, then we really mustn't mustn't, mustn't visit widows and orphans. Now all we're saying is, Dead works, and for some reason we try to stick the religion label on that, which I disagree with, but that's besides the point. Dead works, just doing stuff is not the point. If we're just doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff, we're missing the point. But if we're doing it from a place where our heart is connected and following after Jesus, that changes everything. So I want us this morning just to maybe for a moment think of the actions that we do a little bit differently. See, every action that you do is an outflow of a choice. So everything I do, what I do is a little bit less important than why I do it. And why I do it is reflected in the choice. In the same way, the choices are reflection of my priorities and my character. What shapes my choices are the things that matter to me my choices shape my actions, my outflows. Few things will reveal your character as clearly as the consistent choices you make. Few things are going to show who you are as much as analyzing your choices. One of my favorite sort of definitions of poverty, there's so many, one of the massive problems with poverty and kind of dealing with poverty is the poverty is so incredibly hard to define, because what is poor? My favorite definition, I think, of poverty is simply the absence of choice. Somebody is poor when they don't have the ability to choose. More sort of academic, technical language. If you do readings around this, you'll read about capability deprivation. Basically, just don't have the ability to choose. So when is somebody poor? Somebody is poor when they don't have the ability to choose. If we bring that back a little bit to what Jeremy shared earlier, we are poor when you're living under the law because I can't choose. I've got a law, a set of rules, lists, obligations, duty that I have to fulfill. When Jesus comes and he destroys that and he opens up and he says, I'm going to give you the opportunity to choose to follow me. I'm going to give you an opportunity to choose based within a certain framework. What does worship look like? What is an expression to you of glorifying me? What does that look like? It looks different for Birgit than it does for me than it does for Tian because we're three different people. The heart is the same, but the expression is different. And so in a sense, we can say we're as rich, we're as wealthy as we have, to have choices that we can make. There are a couple of choices that we need to make day to day in our lives. If we can find ways to make the important choices and make the important choices, well, then the unimportant choices will just flow from those. If like I'm playing my chess, if I know this is a key move, if I get this key move right, the other moves will flow. But if I get this one wrong, I'm in trouble. And so there are a couple of really important key decisions, choices that we need to make. What I found in, in my life as a whole, decision-making comes pretty easily to me. It might be partly because of my temperament. Some of us just, we're more decisive. It's easier to make decisions. I think one of the reasons is because I've made some decisions already. I've made some strong decisions. We'll see examples of those in a moment. And those decisions inform the other decisions. It's easy to make the follow-up decisions because the strong decisions have been made. In Deuteronomy, God comes to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy verse 30. He says to them, now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death. I'm giving you a choice. Isn't it crazy to think that God would let you choose death? I believe in His love for you. He lets you choose death. It hurts Him when you choose death. He doesn't wish for you to choose death. He hopes with everything inside of Him, you choose life. But if you want to choose death, He will let you choose death. Now listen, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep His commands, His decrees, and regulations by walking in His ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. Please note, he's not saying, I'm going to destroy you. He's saying, you will just be destroyed because life will destroy you. There's a place of protection and prosperity that I have planned for you, that I want you to walk in. But if you choose to remove yourself from that, you, like everyone else, will be destroyed. Verse 19, today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and cursing. And now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. So that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. I've actually never seen that before. I've been reading that in different translations. But I love how that's put there. That's a beautiful summary of So much of Scripture, this is a key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the first choice that we wrestle with in our lives is what am I going to do with this God thing? See, for me, I've made that choice way long ago. I'm not going to do math. My arithmetic right now is not so good. But 20 plus years ago, I made a decision. I said, I will follow Jesus. This is what I'm going to do with the God thing. And so that means every other decision has to go through that filter first. And that just makes a whole bunch of decisions really, really, really easy. Because anything that does not bring glory to God, anything that doesn't fit in with my decision to follow Jesus, that's easy. Because I've chosen to follow Jesus. And so one of the places of anxiety comes in is when we start wrestling with this tension where I have a decision that I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to. I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to sleep with my girlfriend. I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to be dishonest with my finances. I, I want to follow Jesus, but I also want to isolate myself. I want to follow. That brings about attention tension and anxiety. What Jesus says to Martha is, Mary has chosen the simple thing. She's chosen to put me above everything else. She's settled this and she's going to sit. At my feet. Yes, there's a bunch of stuff in her home that needs to happen, but what really needs to happen is she needs to sit at the feet of Jesus. One of the beautiful phrases in Psalm 24 is you may stand in your holy place. One of the things I'm trusting God is going to burn in our hearts in this year is a desire to be in his presence, to sit at his feet. Just to Switch off, not Netflix, not DSTV, not Spotify, not everything else that's happening, not Instagram. I'm just going to take a moment and sit at the feet of Jesus. Just dwell here because I love Him. Because I want to hear Him, because I want to experience Him, because I want to just... Not that the world in itself is all bad and I don't want anything to do with the world, but I just want to disconnect with the broken world so that I can connect with the healing Jesus. I want to sit at His feet. We need to make a a couple of choices. The first choice is, what do I do with this Jesus thing? One of the things that, that, that really irks me. <laughs> that, that I find hard to process. I've, I've learned to develop compassion with it, but I still don't get it. It's how easy it is for some of us to say, I love Jesus, and just fire off a bunch of swear words in the next sentence. Just as an example. I'll, I love Jesus, but I'm going out with my buddies to get drunk tonight. I love Jesus, but I'm living with my girlfriend. I love Jesus, but I'm using my money on a whole bunch of ungodly things. Just that disconnect of saying something, but my actions testifying something else. I find that hard, to, not that I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just hard for me to just reconcile the, the lack of the desire to bring those two together. For me, I... I hope that at least I'd feel a little bit of of it's wrong, maybe a sense of I'm ashamed at my choices when I make non-God glorifying decisions. We live in a culture where I can stand up and say I'm a Christian and in exactly the same sentence continue to say how I'm sinning and not even feel bad about it. I, I don't get that. A part of that to me says that you just haven't really tasted who Jesus is. But at the same place, there's a lie there that we can believe, that we can say, I, can, I don't have to make Jesus Lord of everything. I can sort of make Him Lord of some things. So the first thing we need to do with is, do we choose life or do we choose death? Do we choose this key to your life? What is that? You make this choice. How do we make this choice for life? Scripture says there, By loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. That in my life cuts out anxiety and tension in so many decisions I need to make. Is this something that accords with godliness? Does this line up with who Jesus is? No No tension in that decision. So easy to choose yes or no in that moment. Similarly, we see Joshua in Joshua 24. Um, he's leading the people of Israel, and they, once again, a bunch of them are wanting to do a bunch of ungodly things and not follow God. And Joshua stand up, and he says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You guys, you're welcome to choose what you want to choose. This is what we are choosing. I can see how Joshua brings clarity and focus to his house. In that moment, right there, we live in a world where so much of the world is tailored to draw us away from Jesus. is set up with a single purpose of drawing our affections away from Christ. We might say it's the world. The flip side is to say it's the enemy, the devil, sending them for the enemy. Has set it up. The devil, you might not realize this, is at work in your life to draw you away from Jesus. All the time, he is working to draw you away from Jesus. We don't have to be intimidated by that, but we have to be aware of that. At the same time, Jesus, who's much stronger than the devil, just to put this in context for us, is working all the time to draw you nearer to him. So let's hold on to that. Let's not be devil-focused. But the reality is there is an enemy who walks around like a roaring lion trying to devour you. And so... So much of what we get from the world is with this idea to change our thinking and our focus, to influence our decisions, to be decisions that would lead to actions that drive us away from Jesus. So when we make these strong decisions, these couple of important right decisions, those other decisions follow. Yes, you may need to make good decisions about your health and about your lifestyle. You need to make good decisions about your finances. But all of that starts very simply with what is the decision that I'm making about this God thing? Am I following Jesus? Am I putting him first? See, then it's really easy. Then my daughter gets born. I think she was sitting there. She's still sitting there. My daughter gets born. I love her. I want to spend all the time with her, but God has called me to follow him. So then it's easy. Yes, I still love my daughter. Yes, I'm going to put time aside. I'm going to be a good father, but I'm going to be a good follower of Jesus before I'm a good father. Abraham had to wrestle with this at some stage, didn't he? Which to him is going to be the stronger yes? Is there a stronger yes to his family or to his God? Abraham, I want your boy. Okay, you can have my boy. It's so easy for us in a modern world that, that's set up to draw us to isolation. This to me is such a red flag. You can make a note of this. Anything that wants to draw you away from the people of God, you can know is a scheme of the enemy. We've seen this over and over and over. And I'll say it here because hopefully it helps you at some stage. So people come in and they're on fire for Jesus. They love Jesus. They get involved in church just as of, because of an outflow of Jesus. Let me just say that. They love Christ because they love Christ. They want to be involved in various parts of ministry. They get involved in various parts of ministry. Then whatever life happens, maybe a baby comes, oh, I need to withdraw. They take a step back. Then, oh, I'm too busy at work, and they take a step back. No, I can't go to small group anymore. It's too much of a commitment. They take a step back. know what I've learned? Give them just enough time, three months, six months, nine months on that trajectory, and they're going to be sliding back into the world. It's going to be so hard for them to change that course. Rather than say, I love my child, I love my job, I love all of these other blessings that God has given me, what are the first things that God has called me to do? So for me, it's really easy, just to help you guys maybe and contextualize this for you. For me, I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever that may look like. Then secondly, I'm going to be a father to my f- and a husband in my family. Thirdly, I know God has called me to love and serve this family, this congregation. And so every decision for me is kind of really easy once it's passed through those filters. The only ones that really trouble me and maybe stir a bit of anxiety are the ones that doesn't give a clear answer, but almost all of them give a clear answer when passed through those filters. So, we need to go and say, what are the key things that I'm going to settle in my life? I'm going to settle in my life that God has called me to live in community. So, anything that wants to pull me away from community, I know is not from God. So, I'm going to step into community. I'm amazed. I remember a couple of years ago, many years ago, I had malaria. Malaria is not fun, by the way. Okay. So I've got malaria, and I'm like, it, it comes in waves for those who have never had malaria, kind of because the, the stuff go into your blood cells, and then while they're inside your blood cells, you feel like you're getting better, the fever drops down, and then these little critters break open the blood cell, and then they're all over your bloodstream again and then the white blood cells kick into overdrive and there's warfare and fever and everything comes and you feel like you're going to die and it's not good. And then like a couple of hours later, I'm starting to get better again. My prayers are working. And then all of those individual critters, they get into a little blood cell and then all of those blood cells and eventually it's just not fun. And so I'm really not feeling well. And Sunday morning comes around. And so I get up as bad as I'm feeling, and I make a plan to get to church. I know I'm not going to affect anybody else. It's not infectious in the sense that if we're in the same space, maybe if there's a mosquito flying between us, kind of it can be bad for you. But the chances of that are, are really pretty small. So I can go. To, I'm not going to affect anybody else, nigga. I'm not going to make someone else sick by going. But I want to be at church. And so I was in the mother's room, lying on the couch. I just want to be there. Someone said, but. Shouldn't he be at home resting? I said, well, I don't think scripture says that. Scripture says if you're sick, get in community. And that's why to me, it's, it's weird to me now still today when people say, I can't, I can't come to small group because I'm sick. I'm like, that's exactly the wrong answer. Isn't it? Isn't the answer, guys, I, I really can't come to you. Can we have small group at my place because you guys need to come over to pray with me and for me. I need to be in community. I need to be fighting and pressing towards community. And So if sickness is driving me away from community, I need to say, how do I get into community in the midst of my sickness? My children are coming. I love my children, but if my children are driving me away from community, that means they're driving me away from Christ, and that's not a good thing. So I'm going to take my children and say, but how can I use my children and bring them to community? We had a small group with a bunch of leaders in my house the other day. I loved my, how old is she? Nine-year-old. She decided she wants to be part of the small group together with the leaders. So she brings a little table and she sits there and she was knitting something, making something, a mermaid. She was making a little mermaid for herself. All the time sitting there as part of the small group. We want our children to grow up as part of that, not to be separated from that. So how are we? Raising what are the decisions? Every single decision I make has a ripple effect. And the big decisions have big ripples, and those big ripples make the small decisions easy. But if we've settled in our hearts, a couple of things first. It helps us to make decisions going forward. It brings us to a place where Mary is, and she can easily, she can so easily sit down, why her sister feels like her sister is slaving away. Why can Mary do that? Because Mary has decided this is something that's important. I've made a quality decision. Here. I want to get just quickly back to the father and the husband thing, because I think this is something we don't say often enough. Whatever your job may be, maybe the most important, best job in the whole planet, and I hope you've got the job that's the best job in the whole planet for you, You know, sad reality is, if something were to happen to you, within three, maybe six months at most, your company would have replaced you. Somebody else will lead the company. Somebody else will fill the job. Somebody else will be the manager. Somebody else will write the program. Somebody else will teach the class. They'll get somebody else quickly, probably a lot quicker than you expect. But There are two things, for those of us who are family people, that you can't replace. See, I'm the only person on this planet that can be husband to my wife. I'm the only person on this planet that can be father to my children. See, if if I weren't able to do that anymore, they can't just replace me. Maybe in time, my wife can find another husband. She can't replace me. Can't find another father to my kids. Maybe someone else can step in and be a father but no one else will ever be their father. And it's amazing how in our world we throw that around and the one thing that we push to the side is being a father and being a husband. Ladies, if you're wives, obviously then as a wife. No, because my work this, my work that, my work that. Please work hard. Have a good work ethic. But understand this. You are replaceable at work and probably replaceable quickly. You're not replaceable at home. So work hard. Be excellent in your work. But Don't neglect what really matters. For the, For me, once again, that's a strong choice that I've just made. I've made a choice that I'm going to be a father to my kids and a husband to my wife. Maybe not always a very good one, but I'm going to try my best to be one. And then if something wants to come and break into that, it's an easy choice. But having said that, I'm a father to my husband. A father to my husband, does it even make sense? Okay. I'm a father to my children after I am a follower of Jesus. I'm first a follower of Jesus. So if my following of Jesus causes me to sometimes feel that right now I'm not being a father to my kid, then Abram and I need to have a conversation. Because I'm following Jesus. The great thing that I've learned in following Jesus is that Jesus doesn't ask me to make that choice. Maybe I think I'm making the choice, but in hindsight, I can see every time that the best way for me to be a father to my kids is to follow Jesus passionately. And so i follow Jesus passionately and sometimes make decisions which... If I was just making decisions for the kids, the decision would look slightly differently. But because I'm following Jesus, He makes that to be the best decision for the kids too. We need to wrap up. See what happens when I bring my notes in. It goes a bit longer. Okay. We make tongue choices. But as we close, I want us to close with this understanding and this reminder That as much as we choose or endeavor to make the right choices and to choose God first, let's read 1 Chronicles 29 verse 11. My sons, don't be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you. He's chosen you. We spoke about this at length last year. To stand in His presence, to minister to Him. And to be his ministers and make offerings to him. In John 15, we see the same. He says, you did not choose me. The implication there is first, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And so this morning, as you sit here, as you're sitting under this word, perhaps watching it on YouTube, listening to the podcast, God has chosen you. He chose you first. And let's not go with any kind of lack of clarity around that. God isn't sitting there deciding whether he's going to choose me or not going to choose me based on my choice. No, he's chosen you. 100% with his life. He's given it. For you, He has chosen you. Whether you choose Him or not, He's still chosen you. He's chosen to be with you. You can run away from Him. It doesn't mean he's cho- He hasn't chosen to be with you. The very moment you choose to draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. God has chosen you. And so this morning, what are you going to choose? And in a sense, I know I'm, I'm speaking to the converted, I'm speaking to the choir, but what are you going to choose this year? If we're going to have a 2024 faithful year, I hope and pray that it'll be a 2024 fold with faith because we're always choosing Jesus first and we're choosing Jesus first because we are filled with faith. So when it comes to my finances, I choose Jesus first. When it comes to my time, I choose Jesus first. When it comes to my service, I choose Jesus first. And yes, there are practicalities around that. We work them through with Christ. When my wife gives birth, I'm there with her in the hospital. I take the day off from whatever else I need to be doing because that's important because that's what God would have me do. I believe, as a father and as a husband. But I don't have to take six months off <laughs> to be with my wife because life carries on. I need to follow Jesus. I need to put Him first continually all the time. Honor Him. Serve Him. Love Him. Make decisions that don't lead to tension and to anxiety, but decisions that alleviate anxiety and trouble. Because I'm putting Jesus first. Comfortably, unashamedly, Jesus, every time. Can we stand? I'd love to pray for us together this morning. Jesus, this morning we are just so thankful again for your word, as we always are, that your word brings life to all who hear Lord. So Jesus thank you for Martha and thank you for Mary and thank you for what we can learn from them lord Jesus I pray this morning god is that we would be completely undistracted in every decision we make lord Lord that there would be no decisions that lead to trouble and anxiety in but many things in our hearts but we would continually choose the one thing that is necessary lord That we will choose the good portion. Father, I pray over our decision-making this year, God. I pray for grace to make God-filled, God-inspired decisions, Lord. For every one of the 35,000 decisions we make every day to point to you, Jesus. To reflect you, to glorify you, to honor you, to magnify you, to make much of you, Lord. God, I pray specifically for the hard decisions where we have to lay ourselves down to lift you up, to lay our dreams down to lift you up, to take up our cross, Lord, so we can point people to your cross, Lord, to lay down our comfort, to take up your life. God, I pray for grace in every one of those decisions. And I pray that you would lead us in our decisions. Allow us to make good, strong decisions which inform every other decision, Lord. We pray that the ripples of the decisions we make to follow you, Lord God, would direct all of the others that flow, Lord. That we would never be caught in which way, this way or that way. Our question would simply be which one glorifies God the most. And we would follow that, Lord we would bring you glory with our every decision. Father, I pray for every single person here this morning who's struggling with anxiety and troubles in their decision-making. Lord, God, I pray for grace to choose the good portion, Lord. I pray for grace for them to walk away from anxiety, Lord, and to walk into the peace that you have prepared for them, God. I want to speak, Lord, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, over them. Your promise that you keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I pray for grace, God, to keep our minds stayed on you. And so that you may keep us in perfect peace, Jesus.